pursues us. Now we are to pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus Christ. So let us pursue those near us, those that he has set before us. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So run, chase those you know, chase those you love, for he has called us to build his kingdom. Well, hey, before we dive into the message, I want to mention again what I've been mentioning at the start of every week, which is our conversation guide. If you're new to our church, maybe this is your first time, you should know that this series, Pursuit, that we've been in, it's a church-wide series. So upstairs right now, our kids are hearing lessons that coincide with the message you're getting ready to hear. And then on Wednesday nights, our students are actually hearing these same messages. And so we've created this conversation guide for you to use with your spouses, uh, your friends, your children, whoever. We just want you to talk about what God's been teaching you and what you've been learning throughout this series. Now, as we shared last week, there's a new way to get the conversation guide. You can find it on Facebook, on our Facebook page, on our website, and you can also get it off of the brand new Crosspoint City Church app. We released this last week. Uh, if you haven't downloaded it yet, go to your app store, download it. It's just 10 bucks. Not really, it's free. So you really need to get it since it's free. So many cool features on here. Uh, I, I really want you to get it and use it and help us to spread the word about it. But one of the things you'll find at the very top is the family conversation guide. So you can just use it and, uh, and talk this week about what God's doing in your life. All right? Well, let's grab our Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 16 together. John chapter 16. If you're new to Bible reading, John, it's in the New Testament, uh, a little bit further toward the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. going to be in John 16. If you are new to Crosspoint, maybe this is your first time or first time in a long time, this series, Pursuit, uh, you should know that we've been learning over the past few weeks how to practically and effectively live out the mission that God has given us as his church. The mission to relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus in order to help them become his followers. Now, as we continue that conversation today, we're going to dive into a topic that I, I think some of us are going to be familiar with, but my assumption is that this topic is foreign to more of us. The topic we're getting into today is the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'll tell you, growing up in a small Southern Baptist church, the Holy Spirit was foreign to me most of my life. In the church I grew up in, when anyone did talk about the Spirit, uh, it, it was talked about like this, hey, we need to be careful Let's not get too crazy with all this Holy Spirit stuff. Look, you might know this even if you didn't grow up in or around church. There are some churches out there that do some really bizarre things in the name of the Holy Spirit. If you want examples, just get on YouTube and you can find them. Uh, people running, screaming, clucking like chickens, barking like dogs, laughing hysterically, and they blame all this stuff on the Holy Spirit. Now, you might question, well, James, how do you know that that's not the Holy Spirit working in their lives? Look, if that's your question, I want to give you some really simple biblical wisdom. It'll be quick to help you know whether or not the Holy Spirit is truly at work in the life of an individual and or in a gathering like the one we're in today. Here's the question you need to ask, and I'm going to oversimplify it, but this question is going to help you. Is uh, what's happening in that person's life or in this gathering, is this attracting people to Jesus or is this distracting people from him? That's the question. 
right? As we've learned in this series, Jesus, the Son, came to this earth as a man to reveal God the Father. And according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit came into the earth to reveal the Son. And so if the Holy Spirit is really moving and working in the life of a person or in a gathering like this one, attention should be fixed and focused on Jesus. If people are being distracted from him, look, you can be pretty confident that the Holy Spirit is not the one at work. Now, because ministries and churches out there have done some things in the name of the Holy Spirit that are kind of weird and kind of bizarre, here's been the default for many Christians and churches. They have neglected the Holy Spirit. Because people have abused the Spirit, they have chosen not to use the Spirit, which is a completely wrong response, by the way. Church, I I want you to hear my heart today. Look, as followers of Christ, we cannot afford to neglect the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because everything that we've been talking about over the last three weeks in this series is impossible without Him working in our lives. If you've walked away from any of these messages and thought to yourself, how in the world am I going to pull that off? Here's the answer. Ready? You're not on your own. Look at me. You cannot live the life of Jesus without the Holy Spirit empowering you day in and day out to live that life. Your reputation will never match the reputation of Jesus without the Holy Spirit changing you and transforming you and making you more like Jesus. You'll never be able to give away the radical grace that we've talked about in this series without the Holy Spirit giving you that grace to give away to people. And as we're going to learn today, there's no way that you'll ever confront people with the truth about Jesus, his kingdom, their lives, apart from the Holy Spirit working in and through you. Listen, if you have your Bibles open to John 16, we're going to start reading in verse 7 in just a moment. So I would encourage you to go ahead and find your place there, verse 7. And as you're kind of marking your spot, I'm going to give you a little context before we read so that this passage makes sense, all right? Just two chapters earlier in John 14, Jesus has broken some hard news to his disciples. He told them that he's getting ready to leave them. Just a short time after this conversation that we're getting ready to read from, Jesus, he was put to death on the cross in your place and in my place for our sins. And this is what he's sharing with his guys. I mean, I want you to think about uh, being in their shoes, if you will. These were men who had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had left behind homes, families, careers. They had full confidence that Jesus was the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And now Jesus is sitting across from them saying, guys, I'm dying tomorrow, getting ready to leave I have to assume that these guys in hearing that news, they were stressed out, freaked out, worried, wondering how in the world they were ever going to live the life Jesus called them to live without him by their side. And Jesus knew this. And so what he does is simple. He starts comforting them. And he gives them the ultimate comfort in John 14, verses 16 through 17, when he tells them about the Holy Spirit. Read this with me, if you will. Jesus says to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here's what we just read. Jesus looks at his guys, and he basically says to them, don't freak out, don't stress out, don't be worried. After I leave, I'm going to send someone else. He's going to be another helper. Look, up until this point, Jesus had been these guys' helpers, right? 
He, he showed them how to live. He counseled them. He coached them. He pointed out when they were getting it wrong in life, guys, don't do that anymore. And he also encouraged them in the things that they were doing right. Good job. Do more of that. And Jesus is saying, guys, look, this other helper that's going to come, he's going to help you just like I've been helping you. But here's the difference. This other helper isn't going to come and simply walk beside you. He's going to come and live inside of your bodies. Now, can we just stop for a moment and answer this question for ourselves? And how does that make you feel when you hear that truth? That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Jesus himself has sent a helper into this world, namely the Holy Spirit, and he sent the Holy Spirit to come and to live inside of your body so that you'll have all the help and power you need to live the life he's asked you to live. How do you feel when you hear that? Here's why I ask. I think oftentimes we as Christians assume that if Jesus could be here with us in the flesh, living the life he's called us to live would be so much easier, right? be so much easier not to sin. Jesus would be there. I know what you're thinking. Don't you dare do it, right? It'd be so much easier to make Jesus known to other people. Hey, guys, Jesus, right? Take it over. But according to Jesus, look, if you're thinking that way, you're wrong. Jesus says that having the Holy Spirit living inside of our bodies is so much better than him being here with us in the flesh. And just so you think I'm not lying or I'm I'm lying and haven't lost my mind, I want to show it to you, okay? This is where we'll pick up in verse uh, 7 in chapter 16. Look at this. This is Jesus again. He's continuing this conversation. Guys, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. There it is, right? That's Jesus talking, not James. Guys, it's to your advantage that I leave. If I don't leave, the Spirit, he's not going to come. But but after I leave, he's going to come and he's going to fill you up, and it's going to be so much better for you than having me here in the flesh with you. Now, why in the world would Jesus think that? You ever considered that question before? Why would he think that? The answer is really logical and it's really simple. Here it is. Look, when Jesus came to this earth as a man, he was very limited in what he could do. Because he lived in a human body, Jesus could only be in one place at one time with a limited number of people doing his work and his ministry. But what he makes clear to us in John chapters 14 through 16 is this, that when the Holy Spirit would come, He would fill the lives of every follower of Christ over the entire earth all at the same time, giving them the power they needed to live his life and to accomplish the mission he left behind. Now he goes on, Jesus, in this passage to talk about what the Holy Spirit does to help us in that mission that he's left us. So I want us to keep reading. Look at this with me. Verse 8. And when he comes... He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world in three specific areas. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he clarifies for us exactly what he means. He says, first, the Holy Spirit, he's going to convict people of their sin. Why? Well, because they don't believe in me. I want you to know today that sin is always the result of people not believing God. And here's what I mean. If you are the person that picks up this book and 
and you read it or you come to church and you sit under its teaching and you shrug off God's way of life as laid out in this book and you believe that you know better than him about how to live, guess what you do? You sin. You rebel, right? I don't care what God says about spending money. I don't spend money my way. I think my way's better. I don't care what God says about forgiveness. I'll do forgiveness my way. I think my way's better. I don't, I don't care what God says about sexuality. I'll do sexuality my way. I think my way's better. You sin. You rebel. You live life your way instead of God's way. And, and Jesus says when it comes to people living like that, the Holy Spirit's going to convict them. He's going to show them the error of their way. And he's going to expose the fact that they're suffering as a result of, of living contrary to God's way of life. The second thing he says is that the Holy Spirit will convict regarding righteousness because the world will no longer see him. He's saying to his guys, look, I'm going to leave, and because people don't see me any longer, the Holy Spirit's going to have to show them what righteousness looks like. As we learned in week one, Jesus is the one who gives us a human picture of righteousness. In other words, he shows us how to live the life God created all of us to live in the beginning, a life of holiness, perfection, sinlessness, and power. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to convict people of that. Not only is he going to convict people regarding the sinful life they're living, he's going to convict people of the righteous life they're missing out on. And then finally, Jesus says he'll convict people regarding judgment. And why? Because the ruler of this world has been judged. But when Jesus refers to the ruler of this world, he's referring to Satan himself. Like the Bible calls Satan the prince of this world. Now here's the good news for us. Don't miss it. Even though he's the prince of this world, he's a defeated prince. Even though he's busy wrecking our world and destroying people's lives, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, in the end, he loses. When Jesus comes back for the second time, Satan will be defeated forever and he'll never interfere in our lives again. Jesus tells his guys the Holy Spirit is going to convict people regarding that judgment. He's going to show them that as long as they're living in sin and unrighteousness, they are walking the pathway of Satan himself, and they'll face the same judgment in eternity that he'll face unless they turn to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Now, the question we want to stop and answer at this point is this. How in the world does the Holy Spirit go about convicting people regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment? I mean, is he just kind of like out there floating around doing his Holy Spirit thing, and that's how it happens? No, it's way different than that. Please don't miss this. How does the Holy Spirit convict? The answer is simple. He uses us. This is so incredible to think about. When Jesus came to this earth, he chose to use a human body to accomplish his work in the world. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit has also chosen to use a body to accomplish his work in the world. And the body he uses is us, together, collectively, God's church. His desire is to fill us and to use us so that people in the world are confronted with what's true concerning Jesus and his kingdom so that he can then convict them regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, Jesus keeps going on. And in this passage, he tells us exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives personally to get us to that point in order to use us for confront, our confrontation and conviction. Look, read with me. Verse 12 I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. This is a reference to the Trinity here. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all work together in perfect unity. It's not um, uh, one in three, and the three are just out there kind of doing their own thing, right? One God, three persons, they're all working together for the same purposes. The Holy Spirit, he will declare to you the things that are to come. So according to Jesus, the first thing the Holy Spirit does for us is this. He guides us in truth. He guides us in truth. Let's make sense of what we read with that in mind. When Jesus says to his guys, guys, look, I have some other stuff I want to talk to you about, but you're not ready to hear it right now. What he's referring to is his death, his resurrection. It was going to happen the very next day, and all that would happen in the future as a result of his sacrifice and new life. You see, up until this point, these guys' experience with death had been the same as our experiences with death. Their experience was simple. Dead people die and stay dead. Like they couldn't get their head around at this point uh, that Jesus was going to die and come back to life to begin the process of ushering God's eternal kingdom into our broken, sinful world. It was inconceivable. And so Jesus says, listen, uh, the Holy Spirit He's going to talk to you about all this stuff at a later time. He'll make sense of it for you. He'll guide you in the truth. Church, I want you to know the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us still today. If you've ever, like, come to church or read the Bible or heard somebody talk about Jesus and thought to yourself, God, I can't get my head around that. He lived a perfect life. He he died a brutal death to suffer punishment on my behalf. He he rose from the dead. Nobody's ever done that. Like, I can't get my head around that. Here's the good news. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit is responsible for doing a supernatural work in us to guide us into what's true concerning his life, death, resurrection, and eternal kingdom. And the Holy Spirit guides us into that truth, one, using this book that he inspired human authors to write, and he also does it by speaking to us privately when we spend time seeking him talking to him and listening to him. The second thing he does in our lives in order to use us is this. Uh, It's found in verses 14 and 15. Read it. He'll glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Now, the Holy Spirit, he'll glorify Jesus through us. This is step two of what he wants to do in our lives. Uh, When Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will declare to us all that belongs to Jesus, he's simply referring to things like his righteousness, his power, his authority, his divine character and nature. He says, all those things that belong to the Father, they also belong to me. Remember, we learned that in week one of this series. Jesus is the Logos, the divine self-expression of God in this world. He shows us what God is like and why? Well, because Jesus is God. So all that belongs to the Father is mine, the Holy Spirit. He's going to declare to you all that belongs to me. And why? To glorify me. To glorify me through you. Church, here's the simple idea. The Holy Spirit wants us to see Jesus for who he is. And he wants us to see Jesus for who he is so that we'll know Jesus more, love Jesus more, and obey Jesus all the more. And he wants that to be true in our lives so that he can put Jesus on display through us to the world. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Look, his goal for all of us is simple. He wants to show us what's true about Jesus so that he can make us more like Jesus and then use our lives to shine the spotlight back on Jesus. That's all he wants for us. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the conviction piece for a moment, and let's put a bow on all this, okay? 
Look, when the Holy Spirit guides us in truth and declares to us what's true concerning Jesus himself, when he has his way in us, when he changes us, transforms us, and our lives become those spotlights that shine back on Jesus, here's what happens. The world is confronted with what's true concerning Jesus and his kingdom, and the Holy Spirit uses our lives to convict people regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'll make it really practical. Think about this with me. When you are living a life free of sin and rebellion through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you know that only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? As Christians, we have not called to be sin managers. For a long time, that's what I thought being a Christian was about. I pray a prayer so I don't have to go to hell, and then I try really hard to be a good person and to not sin. That's not following Jesus. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about loving Jesus so much because of the way he's loved us that we surrender our lives to him and we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in us so that sin becomes less and less in our lives. Are you with me? So when you live that sinless life, that that non-rebellious life by the power of the Holy Spirit and those people that you've been pursuing who are stuck in sin and can't get out, they start to take notice that something's wrong. Something's broken. Something's off. The Holy Spirit uses your life to confront them with the truth that they are missing out on, on the life that God has for them. And he convicts. He reveals to them that they're living a life contrary to the one that God has created them and sent Jesus to, to restore them back to. When you live in a life of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit, you live in that life that Jesus lived when he was here on the earth. A life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of power. Those are the people that you're pursuing are missing out, and they're questioning, is there really more to life than this? Is this all that that life's about? Like, why do I wake up every day and feel like I'm missing something? The Holy Spirit starts using your life to confront them with the fact that they are missing out on something. They're missing out on life in God's eternal kingdom, and he starts convicting them, and he starts revealing to them that because of Jesus, they can know unshakable joy, great purpose, courage beyond, uh, courage beyond compare. They can know a life in which they have this deep, unbelievable love for God and people. And finally, when you live that life of non-judgmentalism in front of those people that you've been pursuing, you know the kind of life I'm talking about? They're living in sin. They're living in unrighteousness. But you keep loving. You keep showing compassion. You keep expressing patience and grace. God starts using your life to confront them with the truth about how he actually judges. And the Holy Spirit convicts, and and he starts revealing to them the amazing depths of God's grace. He starts to show them that, that God has judged their enemies so that he wouldn't have to judge them. That they have a way through Jesus to escape judgment and become loved sons and daughters of God. At this point, I know what some of us are, are thinking, right? So what? James, what does this mean for my life, man? A lot to take in, right? So what do we do with it? Like how in the world do you and I stay in our lane when it comes to our mission? Stay out of the Holy Spirit's lane so that we can play our part, he can play our, his part, and people are confronted with the truth and convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment as a result. Well, let me give you two things, all right? We'll make this really practical. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. The first is this. You've got to walk by the Spirit. You've got to walk by the Spirit day in and day out. Let's read Galatians 5, 16, and 17 together, and I'll make sense of this, all right? This is the Apostle Paul talking. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here's what Paul tells us. He tells us that if we know Jesus, there are two natures that live inside of us, and they oppose each other. One of these natures is given to us by the Spirit, and this is the part of us that that draws us toward Jesus, that, that makes us desire to honor him, to help other people find their way back to him. And then the other nature that lives inside of us is what Paul calls the flesh. The flesh is a reference to our sinful nature. This is the part of us that makes us want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whoever we want to do it, regardless of whether or not it honors Jesus or hurts anybody else. You with me? Look, if you've ever been in that place, if you're a Christian, if you've ever been in that place where you've kind of thought to yourself, I really want to love and follow Jesus, but there's still some really jacked up sinful things I want to do. Is something wrong with me? Here's what's wrong with you. You ready? You're a Christian. That's what's wrong with you. You have two natures living inside of you, and they are trying to produce opposite ways of living. Now, here's the great news that Paul just gave us. As long as you're walking by the Spirit, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you're following the leading of the Spirit day in and day out, that sinful nature that lives inside of you will be put to death rather than be indulged. Now, how in the world do you walk by the Spirit? Here's a simple answer. Please don't miss it. You develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. See, you and I as followers of Jesus have not only been given the privilege to have a relationship with God the Father and God the Son, but we've been given the great opportunity to have a relationship with the very Spirit of God that lives inside of us. And to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you just do the same things that you do in any relationship. You talk, you listen, you walk with Him, you spend time with Him. You pick up this book every day and you read it so that you can hear what the Holy Spirit would have to say to you through its pages. You spend time in private prayer and you talk to the Spirit and you ask Him to move in power in your life and then you listen and you let Him speak back. You ask the Spirit each and every day to fill you with His presence and His power so that He can produce the life in you that He wants you to live. And in those moments, look, in those moments when you want to sin, and we all have those moments, right? And if you're anything like I used to be, in those moments you feel really guilty and can't imagine going to God with with what you're thinking and what you want to do, you go to him anyway. And you know that he wants to give you his help. And you call on the Holy Spirit and you say, I want to do this jacked up sinful thing and I know I shouldn't, I really want to, I want to say yes, Holy Spirit, I need you to give me the power I need right now in this moment to say no. And the good news is he'll give you what you need. Look, here's why this is so important to our conversation today. If you fail to walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit, you will fail to walk in his power that lives inside of you. And if you fail to walk in his power, you will miss out on living the life of Jesus. And if you miss out on living the life of Jesus, church, you miss out on his mission. You see, we have to know that it is impossible to confront the world with what's true regarding Jesus and his kingdom if our lives don't actually reflect what's true. You get that, right? We can talk all day long about what's true. We can open our Bibles and and yell the truth at people. But you know like I know that talk is cheap. We can talk all day long, but if our lives don't match up with the truth that is coming out of our mouths, all we confront the world with at that point is hypocrisy. Walking by the Spirit is how we get our lives and our mouth to match up. That's first. The second thing is this. 
We've got to let the Holy Spirit keep his job. If we want to see the mission that God has given us really play out in our lives and in our church, if we're going to stay in our lane and let the Holy Spirit stay in his, we've got to let the Holy Spirit keep his job. Here's what I mean. You and I should never attempt to take conviction out of the hands of the Holy Spirit. That is his job, not ours. Again, let's make it simple. Our role is this. Our role is to live the truth and to speak the truth. And we do it in that order, right? We live what's true and then we speak what's true in a grace-filled manner so that the world is confronted with what's true concerning Jesus and his kingdom. And then the Holy Spirit's role is to take what we're living and what we're speaking and to use it to convict people regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Are you with me? Conviction, not our job. Here's why we have to get this right. Because when, when people get it wrong and they start to believe that conviction is on their back, they've got to convict people, they start to become confrontational. Have you ever noticed that? People who try to play the role of the Holy Spirit, they're always mean and aggressive and unkind and forceful. If you've ever wondered, James, why aren't you that guy, bro? Why aren't you the hellfire brimstone guy? Because I don't need to be. I truly believe if I'm preaching this book week after week and and talking about Jesus and all that's true about him and his kingdom, the Holy Spirit's going to take that truth. He's going to convict you. I don't need to convict you. It's not my place. It's not yours. When people try to take his job away from him, they become those confrontational people I'm sure we've all been around. But whenever I lived in Miami, Florida, I used to see this play out about every weekend. Believe it or not, there were street preachers that would hang out in South Beach every weekend with their bullhorns, and they would yell at people, and they would tell them that they were all going to hell. I cannot tell you how many times I almost saw a fight go down in the middle of the street because of the confrontational approach of these street preachers. Never once, never once did I see anyone stop and listen and take seriously what they had to say. So if you're taking notes, will you write this down? Confronting people far from God should never be confrontational. Confronting people far from God should never be confrontational. But here's what I'd love for you to do on your own time this week. Get your Bible out. And if you don't have a Bible, download the Crosspoint app, right? Use it there. Or if you like the paper kind, stop by our connection desk and we'll give you a free one before you go. But read your Bibles this week. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see if you can find one example of Jesus ever confronting a person who didn't know God, who was stuck in sin in a confrontational way. The only people Jesus ever confronted in a confrontational manner were the religious leaders of his day who disobeyed God and treated people poorly even when they should have known better. But never once did Jesus pick up his bullhorn or his picket sign and shout people down who didn't know God with the truth. When Jesus confronted broken, sinful people, he always did it in a kind and compassionate way, not to condemn them, but because he cared. In church, when we confront people with the truth, it's got to be the same for us, which is why we need to let the Holy Spirit keep his job. You see, when you truly trust and believe that the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do in the lives of people, as you live and speak the truth, which is to convict them of their sin, the pressure comes off you, right? No longer do you feel like you've got to make something happen. That's not what mission is about. It's not about us making something happen. It's about us living like Jesus and loving and serving people like Jesus loved and served people, living and speaking the truth and allowing the Holy Spirit to make it happen. When you trust that he will, 
and that he can, it's so much easier to confront people with the truth in a kind and compassionate way. Just a couple weeks ago, I heard a new song that has just been impacting my life in great ways. I knew that in one day, I could not unpack all that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. There's just no way. We could preach on the Holy Spirit for weeks and weeks and weeks and, and barely scratch the surface. So you need to keep learning about him long after you leave this place today. But as I was saying about the day and, and where to close, I went, well, maybe we can just sing and pray and ask God to give us greater understanding of who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. And so I heard this song, and it's just been impacting me. And on Monday, I totally messed our band up, and I called Kyle, the worship pastor, said, bro, I need you to do this. I know you've already got a plan. Cancel a song and, and ask people to learn this one and just blame it all on me. Let them be mad at me. But the band, they're going to come, and they're going to lead us in this song. And, and my prayer is that this song would truly become the heart of our church, that we would desire what we're getting ready to sing for our lives and for each other's lives, that we would open ourselves up to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, so that he can do what only he can do through us. And so I'm gonna ask if you just pray with me. Let's get our hearts ready for this moment. And let's ask God to move in our lives. Father, we just wanna thank you right now that you have not saved us and left us to ourselves. God, you saved us and you came to live inside of us. God, would you just give us an unbelievable amount of awe and wonder at that truth right now in this moment. That if we know you, your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of our bodies. God, help us to walk with him each day. Help us to trust him each day. God, my prayer is we respond to you right now in this moment is that you'd move in power, God, that your spirit would sweep through this place. God, give us greater understanding beyond what we just heard today. God, we believe that the spirit can do that for us, and so we're asking. God, we know that we cannot live the life you have for us without him. We cannot accomplish our mission without him. God, we need him. So God, just pray that he'd move. We'll give you this time. Have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.